Today, we're going in a slightly different direction. He was a drunk driver, got into an accident, killed two people, did 17 years, and has changed his life around. He's here to tell his story on the Law Enforcement Today show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Who can first responders turn to when they need help? Shatterproof at FHE. Providing world-class, exclusive treatment services for first responders suffering from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and or substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Online at FHEHealth.com. Under programs, you find details about Shatterproof. Connecting from Oregon, we have Martin Lockett on the phone. Now, we're going in a different direction on Law Enforcement Today's show, and I'll be honest with you, we have a lot of really tough conversations on here. This is going to be one of those. Martin is a substance abuse counselor, author, public speaker, and advocate for reducing DUI fatalities. He spent 17 and a half years in prison for a DUI fatality that claimed two lives, and severely injured another. Martin, thanks for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. I'm truly honored to be here. And this is something we need to have a conversation about. And by the way, Martin is an author of two books, A Prison to Purpose Pipeline and My Prison Life. He also has a podcast called The Rock Bottom Podcast. One of the things with driving under the influence, uh, and this is this started when I was a teenager, maybe my 20s, we had a national campaign about anti-drunk driving, and don't do it, and don't, if you've been drinking, don't drive, if you're slightly buzzed, don't drive, and none of us are a stranger to this, this is something we've heard about since, I'd say, the 1980s, right, and yet, right, it still happens, and I'm not singling you out, you're going to tell your story, but it still happens, and it happens with celebrities. It happens with people who are politicians. It happens with cops. It happens with judges, district attorneys. You name it, it doesn't seem to be going away. And we need to find a way to get through to people. This is something you can avoid very easily. Even if you're a big drinker, just don't drive. I, I know it sounds simple, right? Right. It does. It does sound simple. And, you know, for me, it, it all started around age 14 to 15 when I took that first drink, right? I was a really shy, timid kid. I had grown up and I had to, you know, nurturing and love for my family, of course. But outside of that, there wasn't, wasn't a whole lot of social activity with me. And so I, you know, started to hang around kids in high school to be accepted and to be cool and to fit in. I started drinking that persisted into um, alcoholism, quite frankly, by the age of 16, as I was dealing with a lot of internal struggles and conflicts. And so alcohol became my best friend. I never saw it as something that was going to ruin my life or certainly, you know, ruin other people's lives. I just, it was my way of coping. 
and it it led into New Year's Eve of 2003 when it was a typical day. I had gotten up for work and kissed my girlfriend goodbye, went to work at a warehouse in Portland at the time, and we had gotten off work early because of the holiday, and we're wrapping up, and the boss kind of jokes, jokes with us and says, you know, you guys go out and have a good time tonight, but don't let me wake up and see you on the front page. You know, of course, we laugh it off. We clock out for the day. And then I had gone straight to the liquor store where I bought a fifth of gin. And I proceeded to my parents' house to hang out with my twin brother. And then uh, we made plans for later that night to attend a friend's house party, a guy we had gone to high school with. And so I'm at my brother's house. I drink the fifth of gin, just hanging out, having a good time, not thinking anything of it. And then I went back to the store where I bought four 24-ounce cans of beer. Now, the quick mathematicians out there will know that that's 96 ounces of beer that I consumed between the hours of 5 and 8 o'clock that night. So then we went to another friend's house in the meantime to hang out. Didn't want to get to the party too early, so we hang out. The three of us drink a pint of Again, we get into my vehicle to go to the party, and none of us ever thought twice about me driving because, frankly, as you mentioned, it is so pervasive in our society that whether you're with friends or colleagues or whomever, this is, this is just par for the course, right? When you're under the influence, you never think that your driving has changed, that it's going to be more aggressive, that you're not going to pay attention to stop signs and stoplights and things like that. You think, yeah, I'm a little tipsy or, you know, I'm intoxicated, but it's just driving, right? It's like riding a bike. You know, I can do these these very uh, kind of automatic things that I've that I've always done, and so we headed to the party, no problem. Drink more alcohol, bring in the new year. We exit the party. I take my friend home without incident. Get back onto the freeway to take my brother home, and at this point, I'm really exhausted, and I just want to get home so I can go to sleep. And so I begin to pick up my speed to about 80 miles an hour. And this makes my brother nervous. And he says, hey, man, you know, you should slow down. You know, the police are out heavily it being a holiday and all. And I thought, okay, you know, that makes sense. So I went ahead and slowed down to appease him and keep him quiet. And we continue to drive. We exit the freeway. And again, I'm getting ready to drop him off at our parents' house. And he suddenly realizes he's all out of cigarettes. So he says, hey, let's go up to the mini mart so I can get some cigarettes. I'm all out. I'm thinking, great. You know, here's one more stop that I just don't want to have to make. So we continue to drive. And I'm looking up at the light. And it's about two blocks from where we were. And the light is yellow. And I clearly know I'm not going to make this light. There's just no way. But it didn't matter because in a split second, I made up my mind I'm not going to wait. So I immediately punch the gas. I accelerate quickly. And before I know it, just the most, you know, earth-shattering boom, is there. And so I instantly, obviously, I knew I'd hit a car. I never saw it. I just hit it. And the policemen are on the scene, of course, within seconds, you know, the, the, the ambulance and, and fire department, everybody's there. And that officer had confirmed to me about five minutes into that interview what I had already known to be true in my heart because I had seen the person lying on the pavement motionless. And he tells me, yeah, that person has perished. And he informed me that another was being life-flighted to the hospital. And so I'm placed under arrest, put into the back of the cruiser. We head downtown for processing. And I'm listening to the police radio because there's a lot of chatter, obviously, about the crash. And so I'm listening to the radio. And I hear about 10 minutes into that ride, unbeknownst to me, that there was apparently another passenger who had 
uh, died at the scene. And so I asked the officer, I said, excuse me, sir. I said, did I just hear that correctly, that someone else has died from the crash? And he said, unfortunately, yes. So um, I'm taken downtown for processing on two counts of manslaughter in the first degree. And in Oregon, that is a, that is a mandatory minimum crime. It is considered violent person to person. It is a mandatory 120 months, otherwise known as 10 years, day for day. So I knew at 24 years old that I was going to prison for about 20 years. And so that was that was the, the day that, that was a horrible day for many people's lives. Let me just say that. Yeah, there, there's no way to, to have this conversation. And the, the family members of those who were killed in this accident, I, I don't want them or anyone listening to, to think or misconstrue that that neither myself nor Martin are not aware. What we want to do is talk about the mindset of what he's going through beforehand, the drinking, the drinking and driving, going to prison, and how he changed his life. You were 24 years old, and you had taken two lives, and one person was severely injured in this accident. Am I correct? That is correct. Here's something that I, I say all the time, and my experience on police work, let's just say 95% of the time we weren't doing stuff we're arresting people. The people we did arrest, the vast majority of them were not bad people. They were not hardcore criminals. Our prisons are not filled with hardcore criminals. We have a lot of people who are in prison because of a poor choice they made involving alcohol or drugs, or they had a bad five minutes of their life. Then the remainder are those vicious hardcore criminals. Martin is not one of them. When we return to our conversation, we're going to talk about more of his story and how it transformed him. This is Law Enforcement Day Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Every day you put on your uniform and go to work, someone may be counting on you to be there for them in a life or death situation because emergencies can happen at any time and to anyone. The question is, where do first responders turn when they are in crisis? At FHE Health, our specialized treatment program has helped many first responder families successfully manage PTSD, addiction, and other mental health issues. Struggling? Call FHE Health today at 833-776-1420 or online at FHEHealth.com. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. Return conversation with Martin Lockett, who's contacting us from Oregon area. He's a substance abuse counselor, author, public speaker, has written two books, Prison to Purpose Pipeline and My Prison Life. He also has a rock bottom podcast. He was driving drunk under the influence had an accident, killed two people, and did 17 and a half years, and one person was severely injured. And we want to talk about more of your story. I, I really want to understand, before we get to court and all that, I get it. And I got sober 30 years ago. I get the fact that when drinking alcohol, it's easy to cross into a mindset, nothing bad's going to happen to me. And it's a, and, right. and that's the frame of mind we have in any aspect of life. Everyone I know, no one thinks bad stuff's going to happen to them. 
when you right. were driving drunk, and I'm sure, and I, there's no other word I can use, you're, you were drinking heavily all day long, and you explained mm-hmm. why that was not unfamiliar and not uncommon for you. We will touch back on that a little bit later on. When you're driving and all of a sudden you realize this is a horrible accident and one person's dead and another one's dead and you're in the back of a patrol car and you're heading to the, the police station, you're under arrest. Did at, at any part in your mind go, oh my, my goodness, this is it, my life's over? 100% because as inebriated as I was, I was still very conscious of the law in the state of Oregon. And so I knew that two dead people as a result of my recklessness was going to warrant me going to prison for nearly 20 years. So, you know, if you can, you know, I'm, I'm grappling with the fact that I'm responsible for killing two innocent people that I've never met, never had any interactions with, but they're dead because of me. Right. That's 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 heavy enough. But then also trying to process in that, you know, moment of sheer devastation that I'm actually going to prison for 20 years. There's no way I can picture my life at 44 years old at the age of 24. Right. And so it was, it was the lowest point, you know, clearly of my life. And it it was extremely overwhelming and just, and just devastating. We use the word accident to describe this because it's not on purpose. All right. However, there's many choices that you and I, others in a situation can make ahead of time. If I'm going to drink, am I going to drive? Uh, what's the cutoff point? Do I have a designated driver? All these things. And quite honestly, my daughters, I, I, I thank God, when they drink, which is not that often, as a matter of fact, one doesn't drink at all anymore, and they're going out with friends, they always have an Uber or something else, a designated driver. They never, ever, ever drive, even if they've only had one. I don't know where they right. got the message, Martin, but they got it. And I'm sure you yeah. wish you'd gotten that somewhere along the way, too. If you heard it, it didn't register. Right. And, and I'm, you know, I, and I learned about Uber and Lyft and those things while I was incarcerated. And, you know, them having, you know, there's now so many driver services that's readily available at your fingertip with an app and all those sorts of things. Back when I was, you know, in 2003, there were cabs, sure. But again, you know, to have a designated designated driver, that means one of your friends or associates has to be a non-drinker, or at least be willing to sacrifice for that night. And and frankly, if if I'm being honest, I can't I can't think of one of us who was sober, one of us who was willing to sacrifice a night of drinking and be the designated driver. So it was just a it was just an environmental toxic mix um, that, that frankly it made something like this inevitable. You know, and, and, and let me just let me just clarify, you know, when I speak at DUI victim impact panels and, and, and other places in the community, I'm very reluctant to say an accident. I get that it wasn't intentional, but I refer to it as either a fatal crash or a fatal collision, because you're right there as as intoxicated as I was. I knew I should not have been driving that night. Obviously, my judgment was off. My rationale, you know, my 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 reasonable thinking was was skewed. And so clearly I knew I should not have been driving, but um, to say it was entirely an accident, I think is, is, is kind of a misnomer as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I just don't know the right word to use. I, I know someone right now listening is going, 
it's not an accident they're yelling at the radio or, or right. yelling at their phone, whatever they're doing. And I get it. I understand it. Martin gets it, too. But it's impossible to have this conversation. We're limited by human language. And part of the English language is that's the term we use. This is right. not something that's new. And we could go into, I'm of Irish descent. And the joke I always had is, you know, the difference between an Irish wedding and Irish funeral is one less drunk. And secondly, you could go to any family function when I was a kid, throw a rock and it ricochet off and hit at least one or two people a drinking problem. It, it, sure. Culture, we can talk about that. We can talk about society. We can talk about lots of things. But ultimately, what it comes down to is you're 24 years old. You were driving under the influence on New Year's Eve. You've been drinking all day. And that was not uncommon. And maybe we should have red flags. We should have a conversation about, hey, this is uncommon. Maybe we should have that conversation. I don't know. But then there's a fatal accident. And you're in the police car. Two people are dead, mm-hmm. one severely injured, you're on the way, and you've got a looming court case, and you've got the very real possibility of 20 years in prison. Right. Right. So then, three days later, I'm in my cell, I'm just minding my own business, and someone had slid the, the Oregonian newspaper, the statewide newspaper, underneath my door, and I thought, this is strange. I didn't, I didn't ask to see a paper, so I pick it up, I begin to thumb through it. See my picture on the front page of, of one of the sections. And with each paragraph that I read that morning, for the first time in days, my faceless victims became people. And these people had an incredible story. And the columnists had talked about how they were in recovery at the time of their passing and that they had devoted their lives to helping others get clean and sober. They were volunteers with Mothers Against Drunk Driving, ironically. They were volunteers at Volunteers of America. In fact, that very night, they were returning home, believe it or not, from a clean and sober New Year's Eve party when they were struck and killed by a drunk driver. And so he had talked about the palpable irony of this tragedy. And he said, at the end, I'll never forget, these words changed my life forever. He said, perhaps the person they will have ended up helping the most is the man who's charged with killing them, end quote. And, you know, I, I, I internalized that message. I didn't know quite what it was going to mean for my life because I'm still looking at 20 years in prison, but I knew I was supposed to figure out what those words were supposed to mean for my life. So I, I meditated on that phrase for the next several months and then came to the succinct conclusion that the only way this tragedy will not be in vain is if I carry on their legacies and do everything I possibly can to ensure that no other families ever have to go through this this anguish and agony ever again. So in that moment, that's that's exactly what I vowed to do with the rest of my, my life. And you were 24? I was 24 years old, yes, sir. What were their names? Uh, so their name was uh, names were Myra Catlaps and Linda Davenport, and then the lone survivor of the collision was Anthony Klein. And I mean... It's. I, I hate to say this. I feel horrible for them. I feel horrible for their families. And I'll be honest, sure. Martin. I feel horrible for you, and I feel horrible for your family. There's no. I'm a yeah. dad. I'm a father. For goodness sakes, I never want anything bad to happen to my daughters, and I don't want them to do anything to harm someone else. Do the decisions they make. It's. There's no winners in the story. When we return, we'll talk more about. How Martin changed his life when he was incarcerated, the trial, the sentence, and what he does today. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We will be right back. 
Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. What does it take to be a hero? Some say sacrifice, others courage or strength. We see all these things in men and women in our first responder program at FHE Health. The courage to ask for help when you need it. The strength to believe healing is possible when you feel hopeless. The sacrifice to come to treatment because their family and community are depending on you. Heroes overcome. For more information about our specialized addiction and mental health treatment program for first responders, call FHE Health at 833-776-1420 or online at FHEHealth.com. Return conversation with Martin Lockett on the Law Enforcement Today show. Martin is a substance abuse counselor. He is an author, a public speaker, an advocate for reducing DUI fatalities. He's written two books, Prison to Purpose Pipeline and My Prison Life. He's also a podcast host. His show is called Rock the Bottom Podcast. His website is martinlockett.com. It's spelled L-O-C-K-E-T-T. Dot com. Pretty much a break, Martin. We talked. We talked about the accident. You're driving under the influence. You've been drinking all day. It was New Year's Eve, early the next day, uh, or next morning, I should say. And two people were killed, and someone severely injured. And I'm not saying it's to be harsh due to your actions. And you are 24. You're looking at 20 years in prison, and someone slipped a newspaper under your jail cell door. And you realize that the people you hit and killed were in sobriety and recovery and had dedicated their lives to helping other people. And he said, at that point, your life began to change and you, you had a new mission, right? That is correct. So later that year, I am sentenced to 17 and a half years. That was on a plea bargain because had I gone to trial and, you know, tried to fight it, which I never, I never, you know, tried to skirt responsibility, right? I was fully accountable, fully remorseful. This was, this was a tragedy. So I accepted responsibility. I took a 17 and a half year plea bargain. I'm sent to state prison. I am committed to this mission, but I didn't know what that was going to look like uh, in real life terms. And so I said, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to get an education. So I started working as a tutor, helping guys with their GEDs, and then I discovered I could take a, a, a community college course one at a time for $25 is what they were offering. So I just enrolled in whichever ones I could get, and then a couple years later, I tragically lost my father, And but because of that, we were, I was able to get life insurance money and, and his pension, part of his pension, and so I was able to invest in my education on, you know, in, in, in earnest. So I started taking distance education courses from Louisiana State University and Indiana University. They were offering that at the time. And so I parlayed that into an associate's degree uh, from Indiana University. And then I went on to get a bachelor's in sociology from Colorado State University. And then later in 2016, had graduated with a master's in psychology from California Coast University. And meanwhile, as I'm, as I'm getting this education, 
and I'm starting to learn so much about, you know, psychology and the stages of psychosocial development and cognitive development and how all these environmental influences shape who we are, our self-concept, our self-esteem, where we see ourselves in the world, what role we're going to play, all these different things that took me back to my childhood. And I, I really learned where this, uh, this need to suppress my feelings came from. So I'm able to take what I learned and start to talk to other guys in prison about, you know, their upbringing and, and, and the choices they had made and the consequences they were now enduring. And so I knew that this counseling thing was, was for me, right? I'm, I'm able to pour all of this knowledge that I gained and the education that I learned and the life experience into other people and helping them. And so it was really reaffirming and reassuring, uh, you know, finally had a true identity that I could, I could be comfortable in. And so I then transferred to another prison where I was able to go through a seven month intensive substance abuse treatment program, learned a lot more about my addiction and, you know, how to identify, you know, relapse warning triggers and warning signs and all of those things that we need to have a healthy, uh, sustainable recovery. And then I accrued clinical hours toward a state certification. And so I was able to get state certified in Oregon as a recovery mentor first in 2018. And then the following year as a substance abuse counselor. Now, meanwhile, at the same time, they had started to bring in uh, volunteers from the community who had lost people to DUI drivers. So they essentially started a DUI victim impact panel within the prison. So there's 50 inmates in a circle, and they're all there voluntarily. And they would bring in somebody from the outside, a victim of, of this type of crime, and then they would have them tell their story. And then after they would speak, somebody from the inside would tell our story about how we had committed this offense. And so, you know, you hear about this whole restorative justice model and, you know, there being kind of a cathartic communal healing that happens. And let me tell you, as somebody who was a part of that for, for four years, it was, it was powerful. It was, it's, it's an experience that it, it kind of, you know, set the stage for me to, you know, get out of prison and continue with this, this drive to speak publicly about this and, um, you know, to, to uh, obviously continue to warn people about the dangers of drinking and driving. Yeah. It causes these irreversible uh, consequences. I, I, there's so much I could say. And here's the, the, the brutal truth, Martin. It's so easy to view, and this is my cop background, and not, I believe it's not just, you know, those who worked in law enforcement, but others. It's so easy to view... The person who drives drunk and takes a life and uh, as some sort of monster, and they're not. They're, they're people just like us. Right. And uh, the vast majority of people I ran into that had problems with alcohol, they would have given anything to not have those problems. And if, if they could have gone back in time before they crossed that bridge, that road that led to really perilous stuff, they would have. I, where I'm trapped is I understand the humanness of you. I understand what you came from. I understand where you wound up. But sometimes it doesn't really quite mesh with I want someone to blame. I want to yell at somebody. And right. that doesn't help. It really doesn't help. 
Right. And no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, you got to figure that obviously if, if, had I known that when I took that first drink at 14, that this was going to manifest into a full-blown alcoholism that would ultimately claim two lives, there is no way. There was, I like to think anyway that there was no way I would have taken that first drink. Nobody thinks that taking that first drink or smoking that first joint or, you know, doing anything for the first time is going to lead to such catastrophic events, right? If we all had a crystal ball, then it would never happen. But, you know, we also have to know that societally, you know, kids who are doing that, you know, there's some, there's some internal struggles there. You know, it may start off as just wanting to fit in, wanting to hang out and, and be a part of the crowd. But if it persists and they start to drink in isolation like I did and start to drink more heavily and, you know, you feel like you can't live without it, there's a lot more deep-seated stuff there that needs to be addressed. And so I think it's, it's, it's all of our, you know, responsibility as parents and community people and church people and things like that to kind of be aware of this and be vigilant. And if yeah. you see a kid or a young person who's, who's struggling in that way, then get them the help. Get them the help that they need. People just want help. And by the way, you know, that's really what it comes down to. There's no family that has not been affected by drugs or alcohol, substance abuse, addiction, alcoholism, right. whatever terminology people want to use. And by the way, I say this all the time. If a person is breathing in and out, there's hope for them. Uh, if you have someone you, right. that you love or it's you that has a problem with drugs or alcohol, go to FHEHealth.com and check out their website, check out their services. Phenomenal people doing phenomenal things. Martin, I got to say this. I went to college. I went to Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia. I majored in sociology and minored in drinking. And I got a 4.0 in my minor and did not, a DNF in my major. I did not do well. I was not a good student. And I would love to tell you that I have this sterling, pristine reputation involving the, uh, regards to alcohol. I don't. I got sober 30 years ago for a reason. And when we return, we can talk more about that. As a matter of fact, We'll talk more about you, your mission, and what you're doing with that today because it's your story and not too many people that have been where you've been want to talk about what they went through. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We will return in just a few moments. Our conversation with Martin Lockett. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. Back to our conversation with Martin Lockett on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Martin is a substance abuse counselor. He's author of two books, Prison to Purpose Pipeline and my prison life. He is also a public speaker, advocate for reducing DUI fatalities. He spent 17 and a half years in prison for a DUI fatality accident and claimed two lives and severely injured one other person. And they were in recovery. They were, they were sober people. Uh, he, he dedicates his life to helping others and reducing the DUI fatality problem that still exists in the United States. 
And by the way, his website is martinlockett.com. Martin, one of the things that I tell people about my show is we talk about really, really difficult things, really dark things a lot of times. There's got to be a happy ending somewhere in there where, where we go, oh, life's better now. Your story doesn't involve a happy ending, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. And you've made some choices in your life. You've been sober now a long time, correct? Yes, it's now been 18 and a half years today, in fact. Congratulations on that. And that's that's a daily decision. There's things you do, and it sounds corny, that, that kind of puts a purpose to the pain that not just that you went through, but the families of the, the people who were killed and severely injured in the accident that they went through. First of all, have you had any contact with those family members at all? So I did. I was able to, it was actually at the, high, at the, at the very start of the pandemic. It, it blew me away. I'm in my cell and I, I had gotten a letter from someone I never heard of. And, but when I saw the name, the last name rather, on the outside of that envelope, my heart sank because I recognized that last name, obviously, from one of my victims. And so it's just a little short, little brief letter. And she, you know, stated who she is and that she's the daughter of, you know, Linda Davenport. And she says, you know, I can't help but to think about you guys during the pandemic. Let me know if there's anything I can do for you, if I can send you toilet paper or food or money or, you know, just she didn't mention anything about the crash. She didn't go into anything about harboring ill will or harsh feelings. She was just so helpful and accommodating. I'm thinking, this person is an angel. So I took that opportunity to send a six-page letter explaining everything I had done over the years because it was important for me to let her know that I did not give lip service when I was sentenced all those years ago saying I was going to make this my life's mission, that I was committed to this forevermore. And so we had a great exchange, a few letters back and forth. I haven't heard from her in, in you know, almost, almost three years now, and that's okay. But she, she, she got a glimpse of, of how I spent my time and, and that I was committed to this mission. I'm very grateful for that. Wow. Talking about God's doing for you what you can't do for yourself. I, I, I can only imagine your response physically when you saw the name on the envelope. Yeah, it totally threw me, and um, you know, I, I'm I'm just so grateful that God made that happen. I'm a firm believer in that nothing happens by accident, and so I pray for that over the years. At that point, I'm you know two years from release or less than two years from release. I hadn't heard anything from anybody in the families, and I assumed that it just wasn't going to happen. And it happened, and and it was beautiful. And but now at this point, because of my supervision and the conditions, I'm prohibited from, you know, reaching out to them. They can reach out to me, but I'm I'm excluded from uh, yeah. uh, reaching out to them. And I understand. So if they're listening, and you would like to reach out to Martin and establish some sort of line of communication, and I can't speak for him, but even if it's you want to voice your hostility and frustration, just contact me, and and I'll do an email introduction. One of the things that many people with substance abuse problems, addiction, alcoholism, whatever it might be, they, they tend to live their lives as I, I'm forever in debt and I can never undo what I did in the past. I can't make amends and correct my bad behavior. Are you beyond right. that or are you still feeling, you, well, number one, you can't bring back those lives. You just can't do that. Right. You can't make the moment not happen. But- do you still live with, uh, I'm behind the eight ball here and I'll never be viewed as anything more than just a common drunk? 
not not quite to that extent. Here's what here's what drives me. I, I put myself in their shoes as much as I can. The families who are still here of the people that I took, and I ask myself if I were in their shoes and somebody had done this to my family member, what would I want the outcome to be? Would I want them to go to prison for seventeen and a half years, get out, go on with the rest of their lives, their life as though nothing happened, or would I want them to now? You know, try to prevent other people from doing this same catastrophic thing, prevent other families from going through this eternal heartache. Obviously, it would be the latter. So if that's what I would want the outcome to be for somebody who had done this to my family, then that's what I have to do. And I'm happy to do it. And so it's not that I feel like I'm always playing catch up or I'm trying to, you know, do the impossible, but I'm just doing what I would want somebody to do for me if this had happened to me. And I applaud you for doing that. Uh, again, this is a choice, a decision you made. And it could be easy to say, I, I, I've done my time. I paid my debt to society. I'm honoring my parole, probation, whatever terminology is being used. And I'm going to live my life. But you've decided you're not going to do that. You're going to meet this challenge head on. Right. Well, okay. But think about it. How was how it me? And I know we, we always say pay your debt to society, go to prison, do your time, paying your debt. How is that paying the debt to society? How is that giving back to society? That's what paying the debt is, trying to you know, make up for, for something that was taken. These people were doing amazing, beautiful work when I took their lives early. So me going to prison, that doesn't help society. I mean, some people may say, oh, well, society's safer. Okay, but how am I repaying society? How am I adding to society? I have to add to society by giving something to society. So that's why I speak at DUI victim impact panels. I speak to young people who have gotten, you know, minors in possession. So they're starting off on the wrong track. You know, I'm connecting with, you know, DA's offices to to do driver safety classes and things like that. That's how I repay society, right? That's making society safer. That's making communities safer. And so that's that's kind of the way that I frame it. I I don't see, I, I see literally me doing 17 and a half years is nothing but a down payment to society if anything well one thing's for certain you, you said earlier at 24 you couldn't imagine being 44 and I, i'm in my right. early 60s now and i'll be honest with you martin i never ever thought i'd live to be as old as i am today and yeah. the older i am the more out of life i want and the faster it goes but all those years up to this point were in preparation for what i do today And I get the sense that all those years, the pain, the suffering, not just for you, but for the family members of of those who were killed and injured, leads you to where you're at today. 100%. I mean, I spent 17 and a half years learning everything I could about myself and addiction and how I could then translate that into helping other people, right, which further reinforces my my recovery. And so I'm a staunch proponent of AA. I got involved with that when I was inside. I continue to do AA today because regardless of how long it's been, I know that I'm literally one drink away from catastrophe. Oh, absolutely. Because that's the evidence of my life. And that's, that's, that's the only evidence that, you know, that there is. I can try to convince myself otherwise, but I know, you know, rationally that there's, there's no other truth. And so, and I accept that. And so I, I do AA I go to church, I work as a substance abuse counselor, I get to talk to people who are, you know, uh, in total denial about their addiction, or, or for those who are on the cusp of getting treatment but just don't know where to look, and so I'm able to, you know, happy 
um, to, to help people to, you know, to, to find a way in the treatment, find a way in the recovery, get, build a support system, you know, and, and, and just help the next person. So you've also got they don't two, two books mm-hmm. written, Prison to Purpose Pipeline, My Prison Life, your podcast, Rock the Bottom. And is that all available on your website? Yeah, everything is available on my website. The books are also on Amazon.com, and uh, yes, you can get to the you can get to the Rock the Bottom podcast through my website or your Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from. Sure. And your website address one more time is it is Martin Lockett with two T's dot com. And are you on social media? Do you have a social media presence? I am. I, I just got on Instagram a few months ago, so that is Martin L. Lockett, and you can find me there, and it's a public page, so be happy to have you join. Martin, I appreciate you spending time with us on Law Enforcement Today show. I appreciate deeply the fact that you agreed, I'll rephrase it, the truth is, Martin approached me about wanting to come on the show and tell his story, and I, I was a bit apprehensive at first i'm really glad you persisted and i'm really really grateful that you were a guest on the show thanks so much i appreciate it thank you so much for the opportunity it really was an honor and let's be safe people thank you i'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the law enforcement today radio show the law enforcement today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.